Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. <laughs> Are we forgetting our names today? No, I just wanted to throw you off. Well, I get you a little bit like moving. I'm trying to get you a little. You're kind of like. Nah, nah, nah. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Um, if you are tuning in to catch a little bit more about our lives and a review of things that we've done, I don't know, Livius, what do you think? I'm not going to say it was a one-time thing, but it's <laughs> probably not going to happen very often. Can you imagine how boring it would be if we talked about like the last week versus the previous week at AWP? <laughs> yeah, that would be, well, yeah, that's the thing. Some of our weeks are just awfully um, mundane. Oh, yeah, some of them, he says, some of them. <laughs> Most, almost yeah. every week. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I did get good uh, responses to that. I got good responses to the episode. Yeah, we were a little worried. We weren't sure how that was going to play. So um, uh, <laughs> glad uh, people who enjoyed it were glad you enjoyed it. If you didn't enjoy it, there are some other podcasts I can recommend for you that are nothing like booked. <laughs> I think um, when we were talking about doing that, I told Livia this is either going to be a good episode or the worst episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. So I, th- I think it came out okay. Good, good. Well... Um, but the point is, we will not be talking about our life as a fiction story um, or nonfiction story memoir. It was almost we did a memoir, kinda. Yeah. <laughs> this week we'll be talking about the book Moriarty by Anthony Horowitz, and here is his bio that is from the book because all the online bios suck. <clears throat> One of the UK's most prolific and successful writers, Anthony Horowitz, may have committed more murders than any other living author. See, now that sounds exciting. Um, Mm -hmm. His most... Oh, they're talking about fictional murders. Oh. (laughs) His his most recent novel, The House of Silk, was a Sunday Times top 10 bestseller and sold in more than 35 countries around the world. His best-selling Alex Ryder series for children has sold more than 19 million copies worldwide. As a TV screenwriter, he created both Midsummer Murders and the BAFTA-winning Foils War. This guy is so British. Um, other TV work includes, includes Poirot and the widely acclaimed miniseries Collision and Injustice. Anthony has recently joined the board of the Old Vic and regularly contributes to the wide to a wide variety of national newspapers and magazines. In January 2014, he was awarded an OBE for his service into literature. Anthony Horowitz lives in London. So my first observation of this is that every single thing in here could be completely made up and I would not <laughs> have any idea. This could be a completely fictional biography. I have uh, I have seen a couple episodes of Foil's War. And there was something else you mentioned that was familiar to me. But at the end, did you say he was uh, he became one of those uh, one of those girly parts doctors? <laughs> I don't have the bio in front of me. You he did not become an OBGYN. He oh. was awarded an OBE, oh, which I don't know what right. that is. Maybe that's yeah. similar. Maybe it's an award for being a girly part doctor. You don't know. He's like, you know what? I'm tired of writing. I'm going to look at girly parts. Well, I really can't fault that logic. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. House of Silk, was that the um the first Sherlock Holmes book that was actually like approved by the family of Arthur Conan Doyle? That's exactly what it is. Okay. We didn't read that one. <laughs> and notice this one no. didn't say if it was approved by them or not. It is. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Alright. Now this um, is basically the second one that's that's um yeah, approved by the, the Doyle estate. All right, let's uh, 
Let's let's talk. Let's talk synopses here. Let's talk early parts. Sherlock Holmes is dead. Days after Holmes and his arch enemy Moriarty fall to their doom at the Reichenbach Falls, Pinkerton agent Frederick Chase arrives in Europe from New York. The death of Moriarty has created a poisonous vacuum which has been swiftly filled by a fiendishly new criminal mastermind who has risen to take his place. Ably assisted by Inspector Athelney Jones of Scotland Yard, a devoted student of Holmes' methods of investigation and deduction, Frederick Chase must forge a path through the darkest corners of the capital to shine light on this shadowy figure, a man much feared but seldom seen, a man determined to engulf London in a tide of murder and menace. Author of the global bestseller The House of Silk, Anthony Horowitz once more breathes life into the world created by Arthur Conan Doyle with pitch-perfect characterization and breathtaking pace. Horowitz weaves a relentlessly thrilling tale which teases and delights with the turn of each page. The game is afoot. Those last three sentences I only threw in there so I could say the game is afoot at the end. Of course. Mm -hmm. Notice they use a lot of, like... Commas? Yeah, Richard Thomas would be jealous. Uh, they, they use a lot. <laughs> what I meant to say was um, really like really flashy words and stuff. Like has been swiftly filled by a fiendish new criminal mastermind who has risen to take his place. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. he's got to be fiendish and criminal and a mastermind. He's not just like some evil fucking dude. I guess that's why I'm not writing synopses for books. <laughs> <laughs> taking his this place, book is my about evil stuff. fucking dude. Yeah, this seems a little over the top, little, uh, <clears throat> little blue. You know, I will say that, blue? and I read a lot of the Sherlock Holmes stuff, but in my uh, probably late teens or even early twenties, so a long, long time ago. Um, I, I don't know that this doesn't fit with that. Okay, because really, what we're doing here is so in recent years, um, as as Sherlock Holmes um, copyright has expired. Um, we've seen a resurgence and a recreation of Sherlock Holmes stories. So through um, Elementary um, and Sherlock, and, and I'm sure a number of other books where we've reinvented Sherlock Holmes, this is the one that tries to stay as, as traditional as possible. can't believe you mentioned Elementary first. I like Elementary. Yeah, but you mentioned it first. Yeah, I went in alphabetical order. <laughs> Why did I not think that you would have an explanation ready at hand? Yep. Um, Yeah, I'll give that to you. And I did, now that you mentioned those shows, kind of throughout the book, compare um, this book to the the more recent Sherlock Holmes stuff that I've been exposed to, primarily the the series Sherlock from the BBC. Um, I, I think it's one of those things you can't help but do. Although, in my mind, the Moriarty was the Moriarty from the Sherlock Holmes movies that were done by Guy Ritchie. So my mind was all over the place. Oh, I guess I see what you're saying. I forgot about those movies. I don't even think I saw the second one. Good old Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, I like him. And I I remember thinking the first one was okay, but I wasn't inspired enough to watch the the second one. Hmm. Hmm. This book. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about the actual book. Because you and I are just going to argue about modern-day Sherlock Holmes, if not for goddamn hour. Um, so, yeah, this book starts off. It, it kicks off after Sherlock Holmes' death. Um, Holmes and Moriarty uh, both fell into the Reichenbach Falls. Um, of course, most listeners will be familiar with that scene from Sherlock from the BBC where they fall off the building. <laughs> I think, right? Is that? I mean, that's really how we have to explain this to people. Oh, no. 
Um, yeah, and Frederick <laughs> Chase, who is a Pinkerton. Now, for anybody who doesn't know what a Pinkerton agent is, they were basically the first detective agency in the United States. Um, they were an actual real thing and were, in, in some cases, um, were credited, and, and they mentioned this throughout the book, but uh, they were credited with doing some, some bad things too. So coercion and extortion and stuff like that. Some of that has been woven into the fabric of their uh, of their existence, of their memory, I guess, of the Pinkerton Agency. So he's basically a private detective who shows up um, to investigate a criminal mastermind who has uh, whose name is Clarence Devereaux who has tore shit up here in the United States and now made his way to England. But the catalyst for that is that um, Frederick Chase's uh, friend and co-worker um, was sent over as a um, an undercover agent, I guess, mm-hmm. and is found out and killed. And that's what inspires uh, Chase to, to cross the ocean and go to Europe and try to um, try to find Devereaux. Yeah, so the story picks up um, with him going up to, with Frederick Chase going up to the Reichenbach Falls to find out what happened with the death of Moriarty. And uh, he's led there because he had heard about a letter that was sent um, between Moriarty and um, Devereaux. And he wants to, I think, and he it, it's a little bit murky, but um, he wants to find it. And um, so he goes up to, to see what information he can get from the remains of Moriarty at the Reichenbach Falls, wherever that town that, 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 that's in. And Switzerland, I think. That's, that town is called Switzerland? Sure. I think it's called Switzerland. It's downtown right. Switzerland. <laughs> he goes to downtown Switzerland. And um, that's where he meets Detective Jones from Scotland Yard. And uh, the fir- <laughs> one of the very first impressions you have of Detective Jones is how much he is like Sherlock Holmes. And um, and so they they discover that their um, goals are, are similar or kind of run parallel to each other, so they decide to work together to, to find um, to find Clarence Devereaux and to unravel what's going on with the whole Moriarty Holmes thing. Yeah, I think that the synopsis does a really good job, even if it's a little wordy in, in kind of talking about that. So Moriarty, um, his gang has been shut down. He is presumed dead. Um, Chase brings to Jones' attention that there's this criminal element from the United States that has come here to fill the gap left in the criminal business by Moriarty's uh, whatever death, alleged death, whatever you believe might have happened to Moriarty. Um, and that he's far more dangerous because Moriarty was a gentleman. This guy, Devereaux, is not because we're always portrayed, Americans are always portrayed as like these brutal killers, you know, which which there's some good scenes in the book where they kind of address that versus like British crime. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, from there, it's a uh, it's a crazy chase to find Devereaux. That's it. That's all I got. For this book. <laughs> I will say that once they're back in London, um, essentially, they go through. A series of different experiences while they're trying to hunt down clues and find people and tie things together and so you know there's different people they go and talk to and different little mini crimes that they solve and stuff like that and in certain in some books i've read um i'm thinking specifically there's one kind of subplot that doesn't seem like it really ties much into like the main story um but the way that um horowitz actually kind of took everything and made it 
pretty well integral to the story. It didn't make it just kind of, what was it? Oh, that fucking, I can't believe this is the kind of the, the comparison I'm going to draw, but that Jedi book, there was like certain scenes where it was just like they went off and did this thing and it had nothing to do with the book. Mm-hmm. With this, um, there's one where there's um, like a criminal who had recently gotten out of prison and they, you know, uh, Jones had deduced that something was going on there and the way that it was worked into the story fit very fluidly with everything and it wasn't just it didn't feel epi- you know like there were these little episodes that didn't touch on each other every part of the book was pretty integral to the overall story which was great and which is what you would expect out of a Sherlock Holmes style story speaking of Sherlock Holmes style stories I guess we I guess we didn't mention this. We probably should have. This is done very much in the in the vein that all of the Sherlock Holmes, uh, the Arthur Conan Doyle Sherlock Holmes stories were done, where um, it's all narrated by Chase. And as um, Rob mentioned, Jones is very Sherlock Holmes-like in his deductive methods. So it's being told to us by him, much like Watson told all of the the Holmes stories. And to be fair, the the resemblance of Jones' <laughs> methods um, is explained by that. Of Jones and I'm assuming if we went back and looked through the the Doyle books that he has mentioned in in one of them, in one of the stories, but that he had met Holmes on several occasions and vowed to become a better investigator by, you know, studying the craft by which Holmes you know does his work. Yeah, he would be. He'd been bested by Holmes twice, and he wouldn't let it happen a third time, and became obsessed with being. Uh, on par with with Sherlock Holmes. That, yeah, that's the weird. All right, so and and we danced around this a little bit. I don't think we out, like explicitly said it. You don't see Sherlock Holmes in this book at all. You don't see Watson in this book at all. Nope. Yeah, they're they're talked about a lot, and it, it, it is it, at least initially does seem like kind of cheap ploy to just figure out a way to continue these stories without <laughs> using Watson, right? Because I mean, that's you know, like oh, you're really smart and. And I know stuff, and I have a gun, and we can go and solve mysteries together, and I could write about them, and you could be the mystery solver. And yeah. how do you know these things? Wow, well, I studied all the methods. Like, yeah, it did seem like a. It, it, there was a good chunk of the book where you felt it was a big convenience, mm-hmm. um, and you felt like, wow, I'm reading a Sherlock Holmes story that contains zero of the actual Sherlock Holmes characters that you know you know because, at best, Moriarty is a shadowy, like, possibility. So, So, I don't know. I mean, there's not a lot of plot we can talk about. This is a mystery, (laughs) which, you know, kind of lends itself to to being very spoilery from page to page. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, um, the broad strokes really explain it all. It's basically this, this Pinkerton guy and this Scotland Yard guy teamed up to investigate and bring down the American equivalent of Moriarty and his gang. Um, which is it, which is to say that as much as I, I I don't think the book could have been any better considering the absence of the characters that you were expecting. Um, at the same time, there is this huge twist <laughs> that happens in the in the in the course of about six words that the, <laughs> within the last like two or three chapters, which obviously we can't tell you about. But then you're like, oh damn. And it's one of those things that, much in the style again of of Holmes stuff, the story carries through almost to the end with us kind of left to our own devices to figure out what's going on and thinking we know what's going on, and then there's this magical reveal 
from the character that's way smarter than us um, that turns everything on its head, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Which I loved, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, that, that's kind of how I felt about this book. You know, like it trucked along at the first, you know, at least half of the book. I thought it was just, like you said, kind of just this convenience. Like, oh, great. This guy's going to write 18 books about Chase and Jones. Um, and they're going to basically be his version of Sherlock Holmes stories. So that's kind of why I mentioned I wasn't sure if the second book was approved by the family because the characters yeah. don't actually, you know, those two characters specifically don't appear in the book. And I thought, oh, well, he's just going to continue this on. And what I thought was this is going to be a failure because we're still getting Sherlock Holmes, only we're getting a modern Sherlock Holmes. Not that I don't have um, you know, the utmost respect for, for Arthur Conan Doyle's work and, and what he created and, and what that spun into. If you're watching any type of detective show, and I don't care if it's... Uh, it, if it's you know something silly on like like everything USA does is ridiculous the USA um, channel the cable channel but if you watch any type of detective show on there that's that's homage to Arthur Conan Doyle if you watch the TV show House that's homage to Arthur Conan Doyle I mean all of you know and that's a show about a doctor and that's based on Sherlock Holmes you know so the world owes a lot the world of fiction and, and movies owes a lot to him but this yeah at first kind of came across as a really really bad way to to try to continue to cash in on that without getting without keeping sherlock holmes as a character yeah. but the book does redeem itself in its in its latter portion here's the thing too like i, I my thoughts about my feeling of oh this is weird you know that none of the characters here were very fleeting because i enjoyed the story throughout yeah, but you I will say everybody with the big like handlebar mustaches, right? The all <laughs> wearing hats. I definitely did. Um, I guess yeah. There's a little bit of characterization that's kind of interesting because you know it takes place in the late 1800s. I'm guessing, right? Mm-hmm. 1890s, something like that. Um, I, I didn't realize. Okay, there's first thing I didn't realize that there was so many different horse-drawn carts. Like <laughs> I know, right? They all have these really cool names too. <laughs> one's like a. What Broham? Broham? I'm thinking it's Brome. Brome. Yeah. Yep. There's a Phaeton. Mm-hmm. There was uh, the Black Maria. That's the one the they Black they, Maria. They a Growler. Down. Yep. There's all these, and I'm like, guys, they're all horse drawn, horse drawn carts. They all do the same, you know. Then I'm thinking cars, and I'm like, okay, so I get it. <laughs> yeah, that's well, that's yeah. In the future, they're gonna be like, why do they keep talking about these different types of cars? So yeah, so that was cool. Yep. Um, there was. Uh, <laughs> There is in the book at one point a very good use of agoraphobia. I'm not going to say on what character, but that was pretty yep. cool. Yep. And like a... such a beautifully murderous kid. <laughs> that was probably one of my favorite characters in the entire yeah. book. I um, I was surprised by the amount of of murder in this book because <laughs> a lot of people died in this book, and that's not something oh, yeah. you did expect from a you know whatever Sherlock Holmes based story. That there would just be people dropping dead everywhere. So there's that. There was an appearance by, I'm, I'm assuming probably by the only, well, an actual appearance in the book. The only appearance of an actual person, which was um, Robert Lincoln, um, Abraham Lincoln's kid. Oh, makes, yeah. Uh, makes two appearances, brief appearances in this book. I will say, your murder thing, I almost, I was thinking about that because it's uncharacteristic even of like UK uh, crime to be super bloody. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing 
in my experience or my general, maybe my stereotyping of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think because the conceit of the story is evil Americans came to the, you know, to England, they probably wanted to up the body count just to make it seem like they were much more brutal. I don't know. That was my kind of impression. I think I think you are correct. Yeah. Do you want to do some quotes? Is there anything else you want to talk about story-wise? Um, no, I think I'm good story-wise. This is one of those things where, like Luvia said, it's best left unspoiled. I will give the general warning that that twist that I mentioned toward the end is either going to make you very um, angry <laughs> or it's not going to make you very angry and you'll appreciate the book. So um, if you do choose to read this book, just be warned that it might really piss you off. But it is a good book. <laughs> I think Rob's right, and I think that um, whenever you have a, a, a significant plot twist, um, you uh, your book or, or your movie is either made or lost on that particular plot twist. So there are people, there are people who, if you put a decent or big enough plot twist in a in a movie, it's just fucking brilliant. And you know what I'm talking about? Because there's some shitty movies that have had big plot twists, and people are like, "Oh my god, this was amazing!" And no, it's not amazing. All they did was was you know flip a switch at the end of the book. So it can work for you or it can work against you. The problem is that the preceding 330 pages or whatever all kind of hinge on, like you said, maybe in some cases six words. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can think of plot twists that didn't do it for me. Did you see that movie, Now You See Me? Was that the one with the magicians robbing yeah. the bank? Yes, I did. I mean, it kind of made was there, sense. Was there a plot twist in that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, didn't, I, don't, I don't remember it well enough. I mean, that's that's yeah. how much it actually you know stuck with me. Um, so the entire... Do you want me to explain it to you? Sure. The entire movie, Mark Ruffalo is the FBI character. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the twist at the end. Now you said that, I yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. All right. Anyway, yeah, there's some twists that are good. Twists that are, and that twist was actually good, but I was just like, ah, come on. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I guess we do quotes, right? Yeah, we should do quotes. Um, I'll start out with an easy one. Um, doesn't really need most of the ones I have don't really need any kind of setup there were criminals everywhere a thousand thieves two thousand prostitutes now that's unfair because I don't think prostitutes should be considered criminals that's okay (laughs) I I agree with you I I I agree with you but I think that in questions of the law they still still to this day not in Nevada my friend that's true, but even then, they're criminals if they don't have like like licenses and shit to do it. So you can so still are, be a prostitute, be a criminal. So are doctors who don't have licenses, right? But they're still criminals. All right, all right, yeah. You got me on technicality. All right, this one, um, I give a little setup. Uh, I don't actually remember what was happening here. They were going and interviewing someone or, or whatever, and they they talked to some some um, some impoverished uh, foreign people, and and the line is, "They had nothing to offer me but broken English and sympathy." Ooh, I like that one. Mm-hmm. Um, this this quote could be about two different characters in the book, and I'll let you figure out which one. He is a showman, a ringmaster who brings misery to everyone he touches, leaving bloody fingerprints everywhere he goes. Man, I'm even trying to guess who that's about in this book. <laughs> and I read the goddamn thing. Um, I, uh, uh, I'm going to... I kind of liked it first. I, I highlighted this for one particular um, sentence in this longer passage. And then I thought that this felt um, 
very fitting of the style the whole book is written in. So I went ahead and kind of re-highlighted the, the rest of the paragraph. I set down my napkin and left the room to find the most reprehensible-looking fellow waiting for me by the front door. I saw at once that he was dressed as a sailor, though one who would have disgraced any ship that would have chose to have him as part of its crew. His red flannel shirt hung out of his canvas trousers, and he had an ill-fitting pilot's coat whose sleeves barely reached halfway down his arms. He was unshaven, his face stained with indigo, and there was a filthy bandage wrapped around his ankle. He had a crutch tucked under his arm, and if it were not for the absence of a parrot, the picture of piracy and dissolution could not have been more complete. It was good. Yeah. I just thought it was kind of fitting of the style of... Every description of everybody sounded so much like that. I mean, yeah. You know, Sans, you know, them being dirty or wearing a red shirt, but they were all kind of like that. <laughs> so this quote is, uh, they were talking about Scotland Yard and the building that they were using for Scotland Yard. And uh, it had kind of a, a weird past with um, things that had happened in the building before they occupied it. Do you not find it strange, Chase, that the finest police force in Europe should have chosen to locate itself at the scene of an unsolved crime? Oh, that was cool. I did too. I like that one. Bad omens. My final one. Yeah, I alluded to this in a comment I made earlier. Um, this character is talking. It's kind of important who, who it is. But I will say this much in my own defense. They were not gentlemen. They were Americans. They paid not the slightest attention to the rules of sportsmanship and civility to which I had always deferred. Boom. I had two quotes. I'm down to one because that was one of mine. It's a good one. Thank you. And that's what you get for only have that's what I get, you know, for only having three. I just <laughs> got to that one before you. Fucking stepped on it. All right. Um, this will now be my, my final quote. What if I just went and read that one again anyway? Yeah, you can. <laughs> uh, when you're surrounded by cutthroats and the bacon's gone cold, it's best not to argue. I remember that one too. I like also that. very good. Bacon's gone cold. All right, we should uh, we should wrap this bad boy up. All right, who's gonna hate it less? Because that's who's gonna go second. Um, who is gonna hate it less? I, I don't know that I hate it. Who's gonna? All right, I, I'm gonna let you go first then. All right. Uh, all right. Um, here's here's my wrap up. Um, I wasn't really thrilled about reading this book. I, I mean, from you know from the get go, I was kind of like, eh, we've got all this cool new Sherlock. We don't we don't need old timey Sherlock, especially when Sherlock doesn't appear in the book. Then I get in this book, and it's kind of uh, what seems to be a rip off of the the Holmes Watson um, relationship partnership. And I go, eh, all right. So in my mind, I was kind of like, I'm just going to read this like it's Holmes and Watson because maybe I'll appreciate it more. And it kind of trucked along and it did its thing okay um, for a while, you know, and, and it was all right. And boom, yeah, you get into the latter half of the book and, you know, it gets better. There's a, you know, as they kind of advance their investigation, I thought it got better and I was actually interested. And then Rob mentioned this, uh, this, this kind of twist um, towards the end. And for me, that probably wound up making the book um, the, prior to that. And, and obviously, I don't, I don't know how to explain this without spoiling anything. So all I'm going to say is that um, this book was designed, I think, to affect people in exactly the way it affected me. Um, I don't know that even if you ask the author, if he'd tell you, oh, this was brilliant throughout. I, I think it was kind of OK throughout. And, and then he knew that the, the how you feel about this book is going to hinge um, a lot on the ending. And for me, the ending, um, you know, that that hinge fell into the positive um, side. I mean, I think he was true 
to the style of Arthur Conan Doyle, at least from what I can remember from 20-ish years ago when I you know, read the most of, of Sherlock Holmes that I had read. Characters were entertaining enough. Um, they were they were just the right amount of stereotyped, I think, um, to fit to fit the bill. Like like he did, he was able to produce a Sherlock Holmesian story um, pretty well. So, being that that's what he set out to do, and give it the twist at the end, I will go mm, three and a half stars on this one. Three and a half. Mm-hmm. I guess that's not bad. That's, no, it's not, um, I mean, like I said, it's just it's one of those that I if I enjoyed the book more from the beginning, it would have been a higher rating. It seems like I had to get through a good portion of the book before I started to find it enjoyable. All right. Well, here's what I have to say about the book. <clears throat> I am because of my affection for the Sherlock Holmes uh, characters and world in general um, I'm, I'm pretty open to uh, people's interpretations of it and, and I, I, I basically I give more credit to something I'm reading based on the fact that the character in the world that was created was so good so um, a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt for, for this type of book than maybe some other books um, the book started out in a way where we again we didn't have Sherlock Holmes, we didn't have Watson, but we did have um, a, a concrete connection to an existing Watson. Or, uh, <laughs> but we did have a con- <laughs> fuck <laughs> Watson story. What if <laughs> we should just talk about all the Sherlock Holmes as if like John, the Doctor Watson was the big guy. He was the genius behind all of it. <laughs> he was the genius behind all. Um, a con- we had a concrete connection to. Um, an existing Sherlock Holmes story and, and quite a big one, like one of the pivotal, you know, parts of the overall uh, character's story um, in which for anybody who's read, um, you know, a lot of Sherlock Holmes, the idea is that they both went over the falls and both died. But the reality is they both at the same time were faking their deaths, um, which means that in this story, and this isn't spoilery because fuck you, Sherlock Holmes has been around for like a hundred something years. <laughs> we, which means in this story you know Sherlock Holmes is out there somewhere hiding or doing whatever he's doing and I have my suspicions about a specific part of the book that he might have made a very very brief appearance anyway um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I give a lot of credit toward uh, books that are using these these characters and everything because you know the initial uh, body of work is, is so strong and um, and so I got through this book quite well. I thought the story was well told. If you just judge it against other books that you could read that, you know, take out all the characters and, and everything aside and just, like, how the book reads versus other books, this read, you know, pretty strongly. Um, the story was, was good. The characters I liked. The setting was well described. He didn't Anne Rice it where he spent, like, three pages talking about a dresser or anything like that. So uh, um, I, I just I felt like it was well written. And the characters were were well fitting for the world that they that they existed in. Um, like Livia said, that <laughs> that twist at the end it just worked for me. Um, I'm happy with it, and it's a gigantic twist. It's like it's like turning the whole world on its side uh, kind of twist. But I dug it, and um, I like how it could fit into the overall um, world of Sherlock Holmes and everything. So. Uh, 
I know this was kind of rambly, but I wanted to make the point that the book on its own, if you don't consider it a Sherlock Holmes story, is a good story. Um, when you do consider it a Sherlock Holmes story, it's still a good story, and it's a little bit fun to, to imagine what had happened kind of directly after the whole Reichenbach Falls thing. So all that being said, I liked it a lot, and I'm definitely going to be in for reading more Horowitz in the future, so I'm going to give this book four stars. I don't know that, um, that I actually knew that in the original... Arthur Conan Doyle um, series that that he brought Sherlock back because Horowitz actually addressed it in the book in, in the very early chapter where um, where Chase is kind of setting this up, you know, and they're like, "Oh, Reichenbach falls," and of course now we know that three years later, you know, Sherlock right. comes out of hiding, yep. and I I actually don't think I knew that happened in the original Holmes series. Yeah, which if you think about it. This is where my mind wanders to to modern day Sherlock stuff. This the BBC series Sherlock, the end of season two of Sherlock was when Sherlock faked his death. Faked his death. That's that episode was called Reichenbach Falls. Mm-hmm. And guess who else died in that episode? Moriarty. Right. Of course, he faked his death as well. Right. So you're saying Moriarty's coming back? Oh yeah. Yeah. How you yeah. fake shooting yourself in the head, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen. I, I kind of was, was thinking, like you said, kind of throughout the book, especially as they would make mention. Oh, we should mention there's a short story at the end um, that's also written by Horowitz, which is told from the point of Watson, which is um, a, a, a cute little mystery. You know, no, nothing of great import or anything like that, but it does actually set up the whole Jones character. So oh, you kind of yeah. travel in the past to to see, you know what I mean? That's yeah. So, so there's that. You didn't read that, did you? No, I didn't have time to. Oh, that's okay. No, that's what it is. It's it's a it's a short whatever twenty page mystery with Holmes told by Watson, where Jones comes to them and asks for help with a weird little situation, and um, you know, and it, it began very stereotypical Sherlock Holmes. But at the end, you know, Jones is all like. Oh, I'm going to master these and I'm going to be able to do this just like you do kind of attitude towards the end. So <laughs> I'm going to be a real boy one day. But I did, I did think about parallels between um, that and, and the, um, and, and the BBC Sherlock and elementary and stuff. And my thought was, I wonder what, what um, Arthur Conan Doyle would think if you brought him back from the dead and immediately sat him down in front of a TV <laughs> and made him watch, um, Sherlock, and I thought, first of all, I'd be freaked out by all the fucking technology and shit because he'd be very confused. Um, but I, I really wonder what his take would be. Obviously, I'm sure he would be flattered that, you know, a hundred years later, we're still, or more than a hundred years later, we're still, you know, completely into this. Has it been, was he writing in, it was in the late 1800s he was writing this stuff, right? Sure. Strand magazine yeah. and all Something that. Like that. Okay. Yeah. Right, you know, whatever. So he'd probably be flattered that his stuff was still around, but, um, yeah, I just I wonder what his take would be on, on the new versions of. I think he'd be like, I'm not fucking dead anymore. This is amazing. <laughs> there you go, and that's as far as our thoughts got on that. No, I I don't know. I mean, well, the thing about Sherlock is primarily it's drawn from you know, original Arthur Conan Doyle stories. So, um, I think he would be looking at it. Oh, this is a modern twist on something that I wrote. You know, and I like, and it's in- interesting to see how it became modernized. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Moving. Did you 
<laughs> did you see two questions for you? Did you imagine Jones as Benedict Cumberbatch? No. Uh, all not. right. Neither did I. Um, second question. Do you know who I'm mentioning when I say I think Sherlock made a very small appearance in the book? I, I, I'm going to go with no, because the even the author alludes to it's the neighbor. That in yeah. the, is that who you're talking about? That's what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah. I, I would have to imagine that that's... There's but, no other reason that that thing would have been mentioned two or three times throughout the book. That's very true. I, my thought is... Um, because I thought about that and I thought, oh, all right. So if this is Holmes, why isn't he interceding in what's going on? Because <laughs> just letting everybody murder everybody. Yeah, well, and and uh, you know, and, and there's these. Yeah, I mean, here's these arch criminals, and obviously, if he if he makes an appearance in the book, he kind of has an idea what's going on because he's placed well too closely to the action, mm-hmm. and he just kind of lets it happen. So I don't know. Can we just talk about Star Wars trailers now? Okay, we can talk. <laughs> we can talk about your Star Wars. No, I don't. I did. You did you like the trailer? Did you care? I, I know you you managed to mention it on social media in a joking way, but oh well, that's the fu- all right. So, I mean, that was my way. Of, so when the new Star Wars trailer came out, that's got like Han Solo at the end, and everybody was mm-hmm. having heart attacks, including probably Harrison Ford because he's so old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, my my only comment was that Chewbacca has not aged a day, and I thought it was a funny way of saying, "Look at how goddamn old Harrison Ford is." Yeah, yeah, Harrison Ford is. Yeah, and I recently saw Mark Hamill in a in an episode of uh, The Flash. A little bit rough, I'm guessing, right? Oh, a lot of bit rough. Yeah, <laughs> time has taken its toll on him. The other thing that's odd um, about Mark Hamill is that I think that nowadays, if you talk to kids, they'll be like, oh, the guy who voices the Joker? Because that's really what oh, he's yeah. been known for the last few years. Um, and I think that younger, even teenagers, are probably like, yeah, my dad always talks about Star Wars. That's dumb. That kind of <laughs> attitude. But, you know, Batman, that's cool shit. So, yeah. I bet you we don't see Carrie Fisher in a bikini in this movie. I'm praying we don't see Carrie Fisher in a bikini in this movie. She's probably going to be in some big regal gown or something like that, but that's very, you know, flattering for her shape. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. uh, Knowledge is good. (laughs) What just happened there? I don't know what just happened. Siri decided to... Your phone just trying to tell you you need to learn some shit, motherfucker. <laughs> Sorry, my phone's my, my my phone is um eavesdropping on our on our podcast, and I apologize for that. What was I gonna say about the alright, so the trailer looks like alright, this trailer was like huge fan service. It brought it showed you Darth Vader's helmet, you know, and it brought back all the other characters and it was just huge fan service. And there was oh, here's the part here's the point that I was gonna make and I forgot about because we we're making fun of Harrison Ford and Bikinis. Um, there are people that I was talking to at work that they said they actually cried when they saw when they saw the trailer. Did you talk to anybody who cried? No, but you know what? I could see, I could see that happening oh if you have a heart and uh, and you're a fan of Star Wars. Um, no, and no. It, no, well, it was it was a little emotional. I mean, being able to see them in their their the the we're home line, uh, you know, at the end with 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 Han and, I mean, Hansel or Hansel, 
that guy Harrison Ford, who I constantly refer to as Han Solo, because why would I call him anything else? Exactly. Like Indiana I mean, he Jones. did that, and he did Indiana Jones, right? And that's what really catapulted him to stardom was those two roles. And everything else he's done since then has been kind of, I don't know, just just none, no big characters. And I'm not saying that most people get, you know, six or seven giant, historically, you know, relevant action characters, mm. but... Everything else has been very low-key, and he's a great actor, and I enjoy seeing him in things. But, you know, nobody talks, so even when he was Jack Ryan, you know what I'm talking about? in the, yeah. Yeah, well, You know, kind of like, meh. Homeboy was in Blade Runner. Oh, there was that, too, I guess. So I guess he did get to play a third iconic character. Um, seeing him go back to his roots and what everybody, and when I say everybody, I mean the majority of everybody knows him for. And now what, um, God, what was the Return of the Jedi was maybe 83? Yeah, it had to be. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, thirty years later, reprising that role is is pretty powerful. I think for any character, but when you have someone that that so many people just adore and adore that series, you see where it'd be a little emotional. Yeah, just it didn't hit me that way, but I I agree, and I'm being probably a little bit harsh on people. But all right, hold on a second. So I'm gonna I'm gonna demonstrate something. Did you cry at the end of Justified? I fucking almost did, man. Yeah, I teared up a little too. So see, no, no, yeah, let's, but... let's put this into perspective. <laughs> Justified ran for six seasons, five, <laughs> six, at ten episodes each over the last six years, right? But god damn, man, that that the ending of Justified was just pitch perfect. You could not have done that better. I'm going to agree that, and I do think, and and I've been I've been actually trying to think about this for like a week now. I think that might be the best series finale I've ever seen. Yeah, it yeah. was better than the Shield. It was way better than. Oh man, the Shield gutted me though. Yeah, I know, but still, I think ultimately this was better than the Shield. I'll agree. Better for Walton Goggins for sure. <laughs> yes, much better. Very yeah. nicely done. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh, hey, can we talk about um, reprising roles a little bit? Did you see that Batman versus Superman trailer? Um, I did. What do you think? Um, I am. I am kind of interested. Um, so uh, a couple of the things that I I think about that is uh, first of all, I played this video game recently called Injustice: Gods Among Us, mm-hmm. which had a very similar theme, but of course, to protect the DC universe, it was it, it all happened in an alternate universe. Where um, exactly what appears to happen in this movie, Superman has kind of abused his power, but but in a way that he thinks is good. Um, there's a there's a nuclear blast. He feels responsible. Lois is killed, so he has gone into like a martial law state where he has kind of roped in some other um, superheroes to to work with him. And it's kind of like the villains in that thing are all against Superman. So that's actually the good part of it. Like the Joker's kind of a hero. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. So what happens is some of the superheroes from here in some kind of weird cosmic reactor blah 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 fight thing wind up over on that side. So it's them partnering with some of the villains, you know, the, the people we perceive as villains to fight the good guys which are villains in the other side. So a lot of that was the, that feel when Superman's walking through the hall and there are those soldiers all kind of like down on one knee or whatever kind of reminded me a little bit of that video game and, and the storyline in that was good so I'm, I'm kind of hoping for the same same type of thing I'm, I'm yeah. excited to see a different version being told of a Superman was always such a fucking watered down <laughs> that was my first thought was like it's about time Superman's not just a big pussy for being like the most powerful man on a, on a planet this morning I, I don't know if you've seen this but this morning I saw a video someone recreated that trailer 
using all of the audio, but it was Christopher Reeve's clips from Superman oh, yeah. and Adam West as Batman. <laughs> God damn it. Now I have to go find that. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. Excellent. So, uh, what else we got going on, sir? That's it. So let's see. We talked about movies. Um, what do we have going on up next? So here's what happened. Rob and I spent 45 <laughs> minutes the other night. We spent a significant amount of time. <laughs> Where I was keying in, we had the next two months of booked episodes planned out. They were all written down. There was one that was a little up in the air, but other than that, they were all solid. Um, I went last night into that calendar <laughs> to, to see what was up next, and lo and behold, none of it is available. <laughs> I can't see any of it. It's not there. So I believe that next up is going to be Wheel of Meat, which has also received a pretty good response from listeners. Yeah, from listeners. <laughs> yes. They don't have to read not, the It has not books. worked out that well for us yet. But oh, I'm going to request that wheel of meat. You put the because the last two times we've gotten like the bottom of the barrel, like 17 to 20, yeah, the, of the top 20. So yeah. run them backwards because I want to see if that changes. Oh, I was actually going to drop 15 to 20 altogether or 16 to 20 altogether. But oh yeah, do that too. Well, and it's it's in in saying that it's not that you know we we're not interested in having those books on the wheel. The New York Times bestseller list treats them like stepchildren. <laughs> So we may it, as well too. Yeah, it's one. Here's one through fifteen, and that says also selling. It has sixteen through twenty. Yeah, it's weird. Like yeah. I wouldn't think that if it had like sixteen through thirty, but it specifically just picked five other books and said here. <laughs> yeah, people are still buying this shit too. That's basically <laughs> how they treat it. And so we're gonna go one to fifteen this time. Um, no holds barred. I mean, if it's a sequel, we're gonna read a sequel. Um, if it's um, if it's a James Patterson book, we're gonna read a James Patterson book. I just cringed. I said that. Although that James Patterson book, still, that episode gets so many downloads. Here's the thing. He's constantly got a book on the bestseller list. Mathematically speaking, we're going to have to read another James Patterson book if we keep up Wheel of Meat. It's only a matter of time until math turns on us and his book is selected. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I keep thinking about that first scene from the first episode of... Um, or not first scene, the scene from the first episode of uh, the TV show Numbers. Did you ever watch that show? No. I've seen it, but I, don't, I didn't see the first episode, I don't think. I mean, I've seen it on TV, like, you know, in yeah. passing. He's explaining to a guy why buying lottery tickets is really stupid. And the way he explains it, and it's a course of like six seconds, but he explains like probability theory. And, and, you know, he says if you buy X number of tickets per week for the next 20 years, you're going to win once every 40,000 years or something like that. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that James Patterson is our 40,000 year <laughs> book. Like we just keep missing him, you know? Yeah, no, and that's technically possible, just mathematically unlikely. I guess it depends on how long we do wheel of meat for and how frequently. Yeah. So I'll uh, I'll find uh, I'll post a video in the next couple of days of our wheel of meat selection. Not just because uh, I have to prove to Rob that I did not rig it for him to have to read Star Wars books, um, but that uh, I don't know. Again, listeners seem to have a pretty good reaction to the the video portion. So I'll probably do it in my car again on my way to work. At like five in the morning. Oh, that would be excellent. Just me at five in the morning, just bitter and fucking angry. Try to get pulled over as part of it too. You're like, oh, that would be nice. <clears throat> I've been watching those um, those videos. The um, 
God, what the hell are they called? It's those people who claim to not be part of the United States sovereign citizen videos. Have you ever seen these? <laughs> no. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. And be careful, because um, someone mentioned it to me, and I went down the goddamn rabbit hole for two hours. <laughs> <clears throat> sovereign citizens um, will quote statutes that um, that claim that they actually, that they, in order to be subjected to laws, like traffic laws, you have to have entered into an agreement with the state to be part of those laws, and that since they have never entered into that agreement, they are not subject to being, you know, pulled over for speeding or I mean pulled over, but that basically the action cannot be taken against them because they don't partake in those rules and they are uh, uh, they're sovereign citizens. Kind of fucking idiots. I will tell you this now. Of course, obviously, the videos where they get dragged out of the car and beat to death <laughs> don't really show up on YouTube much. <laughs> Most of these people at the end of the video go. Holy shit, that guy, it took him 30 minutes, but he just pulled away from a cop who pulled him over, didn't show a cop a license, registration, or anything, and left the goddamn scene. Uh, this is really weird. Sovereign citizens. Oh, God, I hate, I hate everybody. Yeah. <laughs> My hatred for everybody is complete. There is one video where a guy, the cop, because they all do the same thing. They only cry, they only open their window like three inches to talk through. You know, they, they refuse to open the window. They refuse to get out of the car. They continue to insist that they that the only reason that the police have any reason that, you know, to physically <clears throat> force them to do anything is if there's some type of emergency. You know, so they do things like they ask, like, what, what's the emergency? Is somebody hurt? Do you know, do you have reason to believe that I committed some kind of dangerous crime? You know, this one cop sticks his fingers in the windows and just yanks, shatters the window and pulls the guy out of the car. That's what I expected Good. to see a lot more of. Yeah. But at um, any rate, so I know that when I get pulled over for videotaping Wheel of Meat on the way to work, yeah, there will be a Sovereign Citizen video at <laughs> the end of that because the cameras are running at that point. So Sovereign podcaster. That will be, you guys will see me having the shit kicked out of me by local <laughs> law enforcement. Yeah, I'd imagine that at least the, not that you live in a bad area, but just I have to imagine that there's a robust police force in the area that you live in. Um, yeah, actually, yeah, actually, to be honest with you, on my way to work, I drive through one of probably the smallest towns in all of Illinois, and, and they no longer even have their own police force. They share it with a, with a neighboring town. <laughs> so mm, I, don't right. know. I, I don't see very many cops on, en route. I have to apologize for the constant uh, muting of my microphone. Uh, we're recording during the day, during the morning, and apparently every fucking truck in the world drives past my apartment during the daytime. So, Did you note how few motorcycles, though? Yeah. They're not. All the bikers are not awake yet, buddy. Right. Because they're all out at 11 o'clock at night ruining our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> like, they didn't see it coming. <laughs> they're scrambling right now. We might get one or two before the podcast is over. <laughs> Everybody ride. <laughs> you guys just heard a preview of what it's gonna be like when rob um runs his own motorcycle again they're just looking at me like what does that even mean and i'm like ride you gotta ride there's podcasts going on get on your bikes interrupters ride oh man I, you actually made me think more of um the the fucking guy from Flash Gordon, the 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 the, the bird man. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, no. Okay. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a video clip. <laughs> but right. uh, 
Anybody who's heard it now is picturing you as that guy. They're laughing their asses off. Everybody ride. All right. And before we go, a quick reminder, Thursday, April 30th, that's uh, 10 days from when we're recording this. So about a week from when you're hearing it, Sylvie's Lounge in Chicago, Noir at the Bar Chicago. Um, We'll be there. Um, We'll be hosting the event, I believe. That event is to include Dan O'Shea, Heath Lawrence, Libby Fisher-Hellman, and Jedediah Ayers, who's going to be traveling all the way from St. Louis. There might be some Sovereign Citizen videos there, too, um, in his write-up, because I could totally see him doing that. Um, 7 p.m., stop by, say hello, um, hang out with uh, with uh, Jay Kingston, who is um, the organizer for this event, and uh, hang out, stop and say hello. It'll be a good time. Here's what I got to say about that. Can't remember, can't remember what I was going to say about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I was going to say something and I got distracted. Oh, <clears throat> so I, I don't remember, Livius. Tell me, uh, do, have we... And I don't know why. I'm the historian of books. So I don't know why I don't know this, but uh, off the top of my head, have we had a reading with Dan O'Shea in it? We have not. Ooh. Yeah, no, you were at a reading. This is why you're having trouble. You've seen him read. Yeah. I have not. Yeah. So, yeah. So our first Noir at the Bar, including Dan O'Shea, who we have met like a whole bunch of times and hung out with and all that kind of stuff. So I'm excited about that. Um, and I'm just excited for Noir at the Bar Chicago to continue. Makes and me we're going to be a part of it. So that's actually... I, I when when the when the date was floated to us by Jake Hinkson, I um I did my my duty and I immediately made sure that I was going to have that day off, um and then it was uh, my request was rejected, and I was all pissed and I went and I looked at my schedule for that week and I was like oh I already have that day off, <laughs> so they must have rejected it because I already had that day off. That's kind of that's kind of funny. I thought you were just going to tell us the story about you kept resubmitting the request. <laughs> I would have done that too. <laughs> Not Rob, a drama. Click the link I just put in the in the doc. I think you have to see this before oh, we get man. off the, the podcast. Is this a sovereign citizen? No, no, no. It's two minutes long. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't quickly find the scene I wanted, but you'll see it in a second. Oh maybe it's not come on. Okay. <laughs> I like the retracted old antenna. Shooting the bird guy. 31 seconds in. That's what. <laughs> he says dive, but there is a part where he's like, Hawkman, dive, dive. That's like 15 years ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got to get a beard like that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you're going to manage that. Mm-hmm. And just don't trim that beard yet for another week. Um. Yeah, and also, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to be shirtless wearing a helmet and carrying a sword around. <laughs> and flying. And flying. <laughs> the flying is entirely possible. I don't know about that other stuff. <laughs> All right, until next time, I'm Olivia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. Jesus, let me get a drink of this bourbon here.